Abraham does as a result of what God told him to do. God spoke to Abram in 9 to 14 and told him to circumcise himself and all the males in his household and to continue circumcising all the males on the eighth day. Uh, so he's got some unfinished work to do. I mean, you know, from here on out, it'll be when they're eight days old, but you've got all these males that haven't been circumcised yet. So, 22 to 27. When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. And then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all the servants who were born in his house, and all who were brought, bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day, as God had said to him. Now Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And the very same day Abraham was circumcised, and Ishmael his son. All the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Okay, so what does Abraham do? What God tells him. Yes. What's impressive about that to you? It might not have been the most, uh, how do I put it? It would have been not a pleasurable thing to do. It would have hurt <laughs> a lot, and yet he doesn't. Do you do things God tells you to do if they're going to be painful to you? Or do you just do the things that you think won't be uncomfortable? What else is impressive about this? He does it all in one day. Yeah, really and what day? Quickly. And yeah. The same day that God told him to do it, he does it. You know, do you ever put off obedience? You know, well, I know I, I ought to do this, and I'm going to one of these days. Well, what, what do you see when somebody delays obedience? They don't do it, ever. <laughs> A lot of times. Yeah, that's exactly right. It is really disobedience. We don't like to say disobedience. We don't like to say, oh, I won't do it. We say, I'll do it later. And that sounds more polite. But saying, I will do it later, is also the same thing as saying, I'm not I, doing it now. I won't do it now. <laughs> exactly. And uh, so you really appreciate that Abraham promptly uh, does exactly what God says despite the pain. And all of his uh, household is circumcised that day. Comments or questions on that section? All right, that was pretty straightforward. Um, the next couple of chapters are joined together uh, because of some men that were traveling, and they're kind of the link between these two chapters. So chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And when he lifted up his eyes, he looked, and behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant, and he hurried to prepare it. And he took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them, and he was standing by them 
under the tree as they ate. Okay, so there are these three men that pass by Abram's, Abraham's house. And um, what does Abraham do? Yes, and uh, does does he know them? No. These are just three strange men who are traveling past. But what does Abraham do for these three men? He shares his tree. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and his food and his water. Yeah. Uh, there are just a lot of impressive things about this. One thing, would you do that to strangers? You know, people you don't even know. You know, that, that might just, we might not give the time of day to somebody we didn't know as far as, uh, I believe that's John. Uh, we might not give the time of day to, to somebody that uh, we didn't know as far as this is concerned. You know, in fact, think about the whole idea of hospitality. When, when we think of hospitality, what does that often come down to for us? Inviting our friends over. Inviting our friends over for a night of fun. So they'll invite us over later. <laughs> Maybe. At, at the very least, it's more for our own entertainment sometimes, a lot of times, than anything else. You know, is that a bad thing necessarily? No. There may be some, some you know, at least not negative things about that. But I don't think that really counts. <laughs> you know, that's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about hospitality. What, what, you know, what makes it hospitality from a biblical standpoint? People you don't know, inviting them to, maybe not necessarily people that you don't know, maybe the people that need it. Okay, maybe people you don't know, the people who need it. Yes. What else makes it hospitality? How am I making some kind of... Inconvenient? Yeah, exactly. You know, if this is just a fun little thing for us, it, it doesn't mean nearly as much as if it actually is inconvenient in some ways. We're, we're kind of going out of our way to serve someone. That's much more of true, genuine hospitality. Now, when you look at Abraham here, there are just so many details of this that are really remarkable. What, what amazes you about how Abraham does this? He hurries and he does it very quickly. He hurries all over the place here, doesn't he? And even with all his hurry, I can't imagine this being done anytime in the next hour. <laughs> no, I think not. Not in the next hour. Because um, he's got to, you know, make the bread and yeah. kill the calf and, you know, whatever. Uh, so it's still going to be semi-time consuming. There's, there, I guess there's couch space right there if you want it. To, or you, or okay. You, be right there. Um, you know, why would he hurry, though? Anxious for these guys to move on? Well, if it's going to take a long time already to prepare it, he doesn't want it to take longer. Like, he doesn't want to keep them waiting. Yes, I think that's the idea. 
you know, he doesn't want to unnecessarily detain them. They've surely got important business to attend to. And so he's trying to get this done as quickly as possible so they can go on their way for their benefit. So that impresses me. And, and what he makes. Wow. <laughs> what, what impresses you about the, about the meal he prepares? Who's all out? The finest flower and the young choice calf and... High quality stuff. You know, the food maybe you would have liked to save for yourself. Or yourself and your family or something like that. He, he, he you know, prepares a feast fit for a king. You know, I mean, wow. This is not just saying, ah, here, have a little snack. He, he goes all out in this. And uh, here's another thing that impresses me. In verse 4, what does he do? Invites them. To do what? Wash their feet. Yes. He's attending to needs that they haven't said anything about, but that he can imagine would be helpful. You know, he's just thinking about what they might need and how he might serve them. Doesn't even know him. But immediately goes into full scale, you know, doing things for them to make them more comfortable and give them a pleasant stopover. Now, there's something else that impresses me here. Maybe I shouldn't be impressed by this, but in verse 5, is there anything that's interesting about how Abraham speaks to those three men. He calls himself your servant? Yes, he does do that. In the first part of Genesis 18. It appears that they're the ones doing him the favor. That too. You know, he's kind of like begging them to do this, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, it's almost like thanking them for... Yeah, yeah. He views this as a blessing to him, not as him blessing them. But there's something else that interests me about this. It says, since you visited your servant? That's, uh, that's not the part I was thinking about. The Think piece of bread. The piece of bread. Because he's really bringing a calf and a lot of bread and stuff like that. Is that what you're thinking? Yes. You know, he says, and I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourself. And then he goes and makes bread cakes and takes a tender and choice calf and, you know, prepares it and brings out the curds and the milk and, you know, the whole nine yards. What do you see in that? Yeah, so they gave him something to snack on before he gave him the big stuff. Well, that could be. Maybe, maybe the bread was an appetizer. <laughs> but I'm thinking no. He's what? trying to be really generous but not showy. Yes. What if he just said... Oh, guys, I, I'll, I'll prepare, you know, a, you know, five-course banquet for you guys. We're, I, we've got a choice calf. I'll, I'll kill it, and we'll prepare it, and we'll, we'll need the bread, and we'll go through all this, and I'll get some whey and, you know, curds and milk and whatever. You know, what would they have said if he'd have said that? Eh, don't go to all that trouble. Don't do that. You know, so he is trying to offer them something modest so that they're not obligated. I mean, what happens if somebody's, if you go to somebody's house and they say, well, if you'll stay around for a little bit, I've got, you know, filet mignon 
uh, and and I'll cook that, and you know we'll have you know whatever we'll have all these things. Well, what would you say to that? Wouldn't that be a little awkward? Like, well, you know, <laughs> I don't really deserve this. So I just think Abraham, he wanted them to stay. He doesn't want them to feel awkward or indebted. So I'll bring you a piece of bread. The piece of bread actually grew quite a bit, <laughs> you know, by the time he actually brings it to them. But, uh, but his hospitality is just really, uh, really impressive to me. And do you know the New Testament passage that comments on this? Yeah, it's in Hebrews. Yeah, what does it say? That he, like, entertained angels without knowing it. Yes, exactly. That's in Hebrews 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. You know, don't neglect hospitality. You know, your next guest might be an angel. I mean... We find out later on these three men were angels, but as far as I can tell, Abraham had no clue of that at this point. You know, what if we treated everybody as if they might be an angel? What if we actually, you know, thought about it that way? And, uh, you know, we don't know. Maybe this is an angel incognito. <laughs> I think that's what, more or less what he's saying. You know, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. After all, at least in the past, there were some people so it was angels that were the recipients and they didn't even realize it. So I think that's pretty cool. I'd have to say some of them have really good disguises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> but, you know, just this service mentality toward other people is just an impressive thing. You know, our goal so often is, I don't want to be inconvenienced. You just don't see that in Abraham. You know, wanted to serve three traveling strangers. You know, just just shows you the kind of character he had. I like this, this story. Comments and questions about it. The whole um, giving them milk and everything, and that just reminded me of Jail, how she... <laughs> <laughs> was it Cicero? Yes. The milk. I, like, I don't know, just showing that that was kind of a nice thing because Jail was pretending to be really nice to him and everything. So. Yeah, in her case, I think the milk would help him sleep more soundly, too. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's true, too. To, to get pegged after that. <laughs> Abraham also, you know, he mentions the piece of bread and is maybe in a way uh, being humble about what he's offering instead of bragging about what it what it's going to be we'll just you know it's a big meal but we'll just call it a piece of bread yeah you really don't appreciate uh, going to dinner at somebody's house when the you know when they tell you you know here's what i spent you know to prepare this or you know i've been working three days to get all this meal you know it's like well you know what am i supposed to say to that or the, this is the highest quality food you'll ever eat. Yeah. <laughs> this is the, <laughs> the best tasting. So uh, just Abraham's a model right here of service, humility, and self-sacrifice. Other thoughts or comments on this section? All right, well, uh, these strangers happen to have some information 
for Abraham and Sarah, 9 to 15. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of, of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Alright, so what is the news? They're gonna have a baby. What makes that hard to believe? They're very old. And? They've never met the people before. How would they know that they're going to have a baby? <laughs> Good point. And Sarah's barren. She's never been able to have children. She's past the time you can have children. I mean, this is, this is impossible. You know, it can't happen. So when Sarah's just, you know, she's kind of around the corner listening in on the conversation. <laughs> And when she hears this, what does she do? Laughs. What's her mentality? She knows better. Absolutely. Can be. In true. Think about what led Sarah to not have any hope in this promise. Think about, think about what this would have felt like to her. Think about her married to Abraham and now 89 years old. She's told she's going to have a child, going to have a son. Why doesn't she just believe it? I mean, part of me thinks that maybe she wanted a baby so badly that she's, she's denying it because she just doesn't think it can happen. You would assume she'd wanted a baby really badly. How would you feel after this long? How many, you know, disappointments? How many shattered dreams? And how many times she was hoping and it didn't happen? I think, you know, sometimes when we've seen a lot of disappointments, it's like we become hardened against even the possibility that God could do something, you know. And I think that's kind of where she is. And sure enough, I mean, this is impossible. <laughs> and, and, and what God says in faith in God is not conventional. This is not, you know, tame. This is absolutely radical and incredible. But, you know, the question in verse 14, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Isn't that the crucial question right there? I mean, you know, they've got to think beyond their hopeless situation, 
their limited resource and ability. They've got to think beyond common sense and experience. You know, because there's nothing too difficult for God. You know, when you get in one of these situations where you say, can't happen, <coughs> humanly impossible, well, who cares? Humanly impossible ever stopped God before? So I think it's a good lesson in just, you know, faith in a God that does radical, humanly impossible things. Thoughts and comments, I'm not done with that section quite, but... Her only, the only thing she could base it on was experience so far. And it's never happened before. <laughs> what reason would she have to think it would? Yeah. And she probably thought that the promised child was going to be Ishmael. And so She'd you know, arranged that. Yeah, if she hadn't done that, then maybe she wouldn't have you know, had as little hope as she did. Good point. Yeah. It's kind of weird to me. Um, I'm going to go ahead and make a comment on verse 15. Um, it's weird how in verse 14, God flat out says, or is it God that says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And then you see in verse 15, she just denies that she laughed. And he just said, is anything too hard for the Lord? So surely he's going to know that she laughed. So I find that kind of weird. Why did she say, I did not laugh? Because she was afraid. Of? Getting in trouble. Yeah, yeah. This would be a kind of an embarrassing, you know, disclosure. She doesn't want to be exposed. She doesn't want her laughter to become known. So she says, I did not laugh. What do you call that? Why? Yeah. <laughs> That's just about as plain as it can be. She laughed. They say she laughed, and she says, I did not laugh. You know, and, 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 and the men respond, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> you know, it's really dumb for us to lie to God. Because he always knows. <laughs> you know, we can claim anything we want to, but he knows. And really, we're all, any lie we tell, we're in the presence of God. Even to save face, we need to be honest, not lie. All right, other comments or questions through 15. Do we conclude from this that Abraham never shared with Sarah what he was told back in chapter 17? I don't know. Or would it, or would it have mattered? I don't know that either. Yeah. I mean, it might be Sarah knows that and still doesn't believe it. Because he doesn't laugh this time. That's or true. Or recording. Yeah, yeah. And maybe he just kept that to himself, and this is her first information about it. And is she being rebuked when he was not? Is there a difference between their laughters? Excellent question. Everybody wonders that. I don't have a good answer. She's more being rebuked, it appears, for the, the lie, but is a possibility. Abraham laughed, but <laughs> admitted it. <laughs> yeah. Well, his was public, I mean, or, or it wasn't hidden. Right. Maybe as much like hers was. And yeah. They were bringing it to light. That's a good point. And in a way, Abraham was sort of reproved because as part of his laughter was his statement, may Ishmael live before you. Mm -hmm. 
and God said no. So, the, I mean, depends on how you, how that exactly took place. Yeah, I agree. I wonder what, you know, we don't know exactly how the greeting and everything went with the men, but <laughs> maybe Abraham's first clue was when the men said, where is Sarah, your wife? <laughs> yeah. And he'd be like, oh, she's, how did you know? <laughs> yeah, could be. He'd probably been calling her honey this whole time. <laughs> All right, other comments or questions through 15? And the fact that her name had been changed too. Yes. They still. <laughs> yeah, it's true. They they've updated themselves to unless, the. Uh, unless of course, you know, he introduced them or whatever. But. Yeah. All right. Other thoughts. Sixteen to thirty-three. Then the men rose up from there and looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed? For I have chosen him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. <coughs> Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham answered and said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the fifty righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose forty are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the forty. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak. Suppose thirty are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the twenty. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. So these men in verse 16 are going down towards Sodom. And Abraham's accompanying them out the driveway and down the lane or whatever. 
And, well, what does the Lord think? He's heard a bad report. Well, he has. Check it out. That's one thing. But what about Abraham? He wants to know if you should tell him what he's about to do. Yeah, he's thinking, you know, I, I shouldn't really hide this from Abraham. I mean, he, look at what he's going to become in verse 18. And and he, I've chosen him, and and I, I I really think it would be good for me to tell Abraham what's what's about to happen. You know, isn't that interesting? That God has that kind of relationship with Abraham that He wanted to share this information with him before it happened. You see the closeness, almost the friendship between God and Abraham. You know, he gets tipped off. <laughs> I think that's really cool. Um, I just think, you know, we, we struggle with this balance between God's, you know, exalted nature and his closeness to it, to us. And we probably don't do well with either one of those, but this one really makes you think of his closeness. You know, he wanted to tell Abraham some special information so he'd know what was going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so it looks to me like one of the three turns back and talks with Abraham, whereas the others, you know, go on down to Sodom uh, because the Lord is going to, um, you know, investigate to find out if the report's really true and if Sodom really needs to be destroyed. Comments and questions on, on God's deciding to, you know, let Abraham know about this. In verse 19, for I've chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Isn't that what parents are supposed to do? I mean, that's a great, you know, summary of parental responsibility to, to train our children to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. That's what God had chosen Abraham for. So, God says, you know, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I'm going to go down and see if it's really that bad. Why does God, I mean, does he really have to send two delegates to Sodom to find out if it's really that bad? So why does he do this? Well, he's revealing his character to Abraham, for one. Which is a character of? <coughs> I thought, justice? Absolutely. He, you know, is it, is it fair to destroy Sodom on the basis of some reports, of some hearsay? I mean, if you're going to do that, don't you have a responsibility to go yourself and verify it? Now, obviously God doesn't have to go to be able to verify. It gives you that idea that God doesn't just up and destroy somebody because somebody tattled on him, whether he finds out if it's true or not. He's going to, to see it for himself. That's the kind of thing God does. God is never arbitrary. He's never capricious. He never goes off half-cocked because he hears a you know, half-baked story. You know, he's, he's going to, to find out for sure. And so, so they do you know, go down there. Um, and, and, and the, then the Lord, I think, in the person of one of these men, 
stays back with, with Abraham. And what does Abraham start doing? Jewing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The first I Jew. thought about that myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, first Abraham said, well, you wouldn't destroy the righteous with the wicked, would you? So what if there's 50 righteous people you can find in Sodom? You spare Sodom for 50 righteous people. And what does God say? <laughs> yeah, he will. What does that tell you about God? Compassionate? Compassionate? He's not unjust. He's certainly not unjust. You know, God often will spare a nation, a church, a family, or whatever because of some righteous people in it. You know, I don't know if you've thought about it this way, but I wonder what factors are the most important in God sparing America? I bet the nuclear weaponry we have doesn't have a whole lot to do with it. But I suspect the faithfulness of Christians in America may have a whole lot to do with it. He wouldn't have destroyed Sodom if he'd have found 50 righteous people in it. By the way, while we're talking about destroying Sodom, what, what, what was wrong with Sodom? What, what were they doing? Uh, they give their name to sodomy, you know, homosexual behavior. Was that it? Do you remember Ezekiel 16.49? I think this is helpful to get a more overall picture of, of the whole situation with Sodom. In Ezekiel 16.49, behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. You might not have realized that was a part of this picture just from the Genesis account. That God gives us more information than just the Genesis account. There's a lot of problems that Sodom had, uh, including her pride, her just self-indulgent behavior, and her neglect of those that she could have helped. That's all a part of this package with Sodom as well. So, God says, okay, I'll spare him for 50. And so what does Abraham say? Should have gone lower. <laughs> <laughs> well, what if we fall five short of 50? Okay, 45. Well, what if it's just 40? Okay, 40. Uh, how about 30? 30. 20? 20. So this is the last time I'll ask, what about if there's just 10? God said, I'll spare Sodom if there's 10 righteous people in it. That's pretty incredible. Can you imagine sparing a city like this just because of 10 righteous people in it? But what do you think about Abraham? Like he maybe worried more about things other than just the righteous people, but I don't know. Well, what do you think he might be worried about? Lot. Yeah, I suspect he's got some concerns for Lot. I can see that. It's just amazing that he feels like he can talk to God like this. 
amazing that he feels like he can ask these things. Now, he's not doing this arrogantly. He's not browbeating God and saying, all right, God, you got to do it. No, it's nothing like that. He's begging. He's showing deference. He's, you know, humbling himself. He's saying, you know, don't get mad at me, but what about, you know, whatever. But it's just encouraging. I think he's basing it on God's character. You're not an unjust God. You're not the kind of God who would destroy the righteous with the wicked. And so he's not just saying, I want this. He's saying this would be inconsistent with what you've revealed yourself to be. And I think that kind of request gets a good hearing from God. So comments and questions about all this. It doesn't appear, though, that that it's unjust for the righteous to be destroyed with the wicked sometimes. So I don't I don't necessarily see this as the ultimate example or you know the the final statement that that God won't destroy the righteous with the wicked. Yes, I think that's right. But it does indicate God's tendency to bless based upon the few amount of righteous people in a group. It's almost like a, a physical example, almost like a parable or something like that, describing God's compassion and his right and his justness. But, you know, there are times when other other times when when God judges wickedness <laughs> and righteous people suffer from that too. So Absolutely. So it wouldn't. I wouldn't have seen it unjust for God to destroy Sodom if there had been fifty. Is that? Well, yeah, I, mean, I don't know that Abraham's exactly saying that, but knowing the character of God, would you destroy those fifty just to get Sodom punished? I mean, I think he's saying, God, you you aren't a kind of aren't the kind of God who would do that. I mean, that's probably that may not be universally true, but. But maybe it is in a way. I mean, obviously, we understand more about eternity and so forth. So, you know, if somebody dies physically, that may not be such a big thing. But God never does punish the wicked or the righteous with the wicked when it's all said and done. Yeah. Right. Um, I did. <laughs> Sorry about that. It sort of reminds me even like of Revelation where it talks about how, you know, the righteous are protected. Yet you may die. <laughs> yes, that's right. So that's why I see this as, as a very physical example of of his compassion. Yes. You know, saying allowing Abraham to plead for the righteous and God being willing to say, "Yes, I'll spare the whole place if, for those righteous people." And more more so than this is when he actually destroys the city. And he spares the righteous, and there weren't even dead. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right. Look at 1929. Thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. So God did more than Lot had asked. There weren't ten righteous. Abraham. Yeah, sorry about that. Thank you. Then Abraham had asked. I've uh, got a lot of lot on the brain. Um, <laughs> that Abraham had asked, and you know, when you stop and really look at that whole story, he was liberal in his definition of righteous. You know, to even get Lot and his daughters out. 
So God really did do even more than Abraham asked. And, and that's, that's impressive. God, God is... The, 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 the headline of the story about God is definitely mercy, not judgment. Judgment's understandable. The mercy's amazing. I remembered. Good. Um, couldn't you also say on the other side, like we were talking about how like God is just and so he wouldn't destroy the righteous with the wicked. But at the same time, that's letting a whole lot of wicked people live. And so God is just also when he destroys the wicked people, you know, so. No, no doubt. I don't know. Like, I feel like it goes either way. God managed to do both here, the right, way it turns true. out. Yeah. But yes, I agree. All right, other questions or comments on chapter uh, 18? I wonder if Abraham felt like 10 was... <laughs> as low as he could go. Is, well, I always get the impression he felt like that was sufficient. Yeah, surely yeah. to be 10. Yeah, with Lot there. You know, maybe he was thinking... You know, Lot and those that he's influenced, there'd be at least ten. So he's—it's almost like he felt comfortable. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, he did think he needed to get it down pretty low, <laughs> but you know, you wouldn't have—you know—he didn't go to three. He didn't think yeah. that was <laughs> yeah. necessary. Yeah. Did Abraham know that Lot was saved? The Lot was rescued. Um, I don't know about that. I mean, surely he found out sooner or later, but I don't know. Really? You would assume they had communication after that. Christmas cards. Christmas cards. <laughs> 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 well, when he kept getting lots of Christmas cards, he knew he was still around somewhere. <laughs> you can check the postmark and see where. <laughs> Because I was just thinking when he sees it being destroyed and he doesn't know, then yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would have been convenient if the Lord had let him know at that point. <coughs> yeah, I don't know. Anything else? Well, that's what happened that one of the three men. Now we'll follow the other two. Chapter 19, verses 1 to 14. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside and be a servant's 